This is the Luke Thomas Show podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Today on the Luke Thomas Show podcast, we're going to talk about whether or not Jones responding on Twitter makes folks want to see the rematch with Dominic Reyes more or less. We're going to comment on the sad state of affairs with BJ Penn, and we're going to hear from the Kansas Athletic Commissioner Executive Director Adam Rohrbach about why they're implementing real-time or open scoring. Luke Thomas Show airs weekdays, 3 to 6 p.m. on Sirius XM Fight Nation, Channel 156. So John Jones took to Twitter, I guess, yesterday and was kind of all over the place responding to some folks. And I thought some points he was making were pretty good, but I thought some of it just didn't make a lot of sense. Um, so what day was the fight, Cobb? The 8th? Uh, yes. What day was yesterday? The 11th? Yeah. So he was tweeting some stuff yesterday about like run towards your dreams and you know, no pressure, no diamonds, blah, 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 blah. And then uh, he started responding to the fight questions he was getting on Twitter. So someone, I want to go through these because I want to kind of react to them a little bit. The first one is, how you feeling, champ? And he responds, one of my knees needs a few more days of ice. Outside of that, I feel amazing. Feeling every bit of a champion. All right, you know, take a, take a victory lap, right? Again, I didn't score the fight for him. But I recognize a 3-2 score, scorecard for John. Totally understandable. By the way, I, there were some YouTube breakdowns, Cobb. I didn't tell you this. They were trying to argue that Dominic won the fourth round. And I'm like, I don't think you can do that. That's a bit of an uphill climb. That is, it was literally, he only landed 13 strikes in that fight, in that, in that round. He would have had to have 13 very dominant strikes. And I don't think that he did. Um, in any event. So, he continues tweeting. And he shows this clip from round two. It was the one that I used where um, he is sort of evading Reyes. In fact, Cobb. <laughs> so I didn't tell you this. My show, Morning Combat, doesn't have its own Twitter account. It does have its own Instagram account and obviously its own YouTube channel. But we use Brendan Schaub's Below the Belt one. And... I don't really tag fighters when in their in the tweets for the. I mean, sometimes I do. I don't really have a hard and fast rule, but generally, one way or the other, I don't tag them, and whether it's good or it's bad. But I don't have control over the below the belt channel, so whoever pulled the clip out from my dissected breakdown tagged John Jones in it. Now I can't be sure if it had anything to do with what he posted, but he posted it just a couple of hours after that they had posted me praising him for dodging a bunch of strikes in round two. It's the exact same one he posts. You think they're connected? <laughs> uh, I don't know. It could be. <laughs> uh, again, maybe, maybe not, but it's literally the, it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the 10 second clip. Same, exact same one. Uh, and it would know, I had seen no one else talk about it up until that point. Not, which is not to say no one else did, but I was the only one who had brought it up that I could find. Just want to point that out there. In any event. People biting that Luke Thomas style? Well, he'd be right to use it because it was a great mo Here was the thing I tried to make in the uh, – listen, whether you scored it for John or whether you scored it for Dominic, the point I've been harping on for days at this point is I do think John's offense has deteriorated some. On the other hand, his defense is just superb. It's like people think, oh, well, because his offense has fallen off and he may not be quite as athletically in, on point as he used to be, 
that this is just some guy who's a sitting duck, and it's just not the reality, man. The really big difficult to figuring him out is not muting his offense. It's finding a way around his defense, and that's not easy, man. It's very, very difficult, right? So so he uses this clip, and then what he says is, Dominic's absolute best moment in round two, give me those defensive points, I'll take that. Well, I got really bad news for John Jones. Well, I got good news. The good news is he won the fight, and he looked great in this clip. The bad news is there's no such thing as defensive points. They don't exist. It's not how fights are scored. In, in, by the way, this is true in Texas and anywhere else. Defense is its own reward. So the way it works in the rules, again, including in Texas, if I punch Cobb in the face and it is damaging, then that counts. However much you want it to count, but it counts. If Cobb throws a punch at me and because I'm so awesome, I slip the punch, Cobb, and you're, you just hit nothing but air, you don't, or I rather, I don't get points for that. The only benefit of defense is that I didn't get hit. So the reward of defense, according to the rules, is merely that you avoided damage or avoided control if it's a takedown or something like that. The reward of defense is its own reward. Just that. It's like virtue, Cobb. Virtue is its own reward. What's the reward for being virtuous? Being virtuous. That's it. Okay? So just keep that in mind there. It's just kind of something that's kind of interesting. Um... He goes on to say, I love how whenever I have a competitive fight, everyone claims the other guy won. Guess it just comes with the territory. In fairness to him, I did not score the Santos fight for Santos, and I didn't score the first Gustafson fight for him. I thought people were kind of reaching. I could understand a scorecard in either case. I just never agreed. This time, I think, is a little bit different. But suffice to say, it's his Twitter account. He can do what he wants. He goes, Dominic outstruck me. He spells Dominic wrong every time. Dominic outstruck me by literally 12 shots. I scored the takedowns, was the aggressor, controlled the octagon every round, had more significant strikes landed. Uh, Dom completely stopped fighting in the championship rounds and had the audacity to be mad at the judges. So first of all, um, outstriking John by 12 rounds or 12 shots is just not the way to look at this. I mean, yes, that happened. First of all, no one has ever numerically outstruck John before. This is the first time, even if it's by just 12, number one. Number two, you score it via by round. You don't look at the, the tally at the end. And also, the judges don't have access to stats anyway. The question is not whether or not he was outstruck by 12 in total. The question is, what does that mean per round? And per round, I don't think it's true he actually had, or even in total, I don't think it's true that he had more significant strikes than Dominic. Let me pull up the numbers here just to be on the safe side. I kind of want to do this here a little bit. I'm getting a little bit pedantic. Uh, let's see. No, Dominic Reyes landed more total strikes and more significant strikes. I don't know what he's talking about. Uh, John did outstrike him in rounds four, 20 to 13, and then 26 to 21. But that's not, and then rounds five, but that's not, I mean, there's like, well, virtually no part of that tweet is correct. Yes, he outstruck him by 12 rounds. Dominic did over or 12 shots overall, but that's really not how you measure it. Second, I scored the takedowns. He did, although it's his second worst takedown performance of his career. So he went one for 11 against Gustafson. He went two for nine. That's the second worst ever. Also, he had no control on either of the takedowns once he established them. So he, in other words, he would have gotten the two in wrestling, so to speak, but they popped right back up. Um, 
And in MMA, we don't score it like two in wrestling because the takedown has to sort of signify something. Now, again, in the rounds where he scored them, uh, they count, and he won those rounds. I mean, there's no doubt about it. But it wasn't like he got the takedowns and, like, held him there. He didn't. Uh, was the aggressor. That shouldn't matter in the unified rules, in the modern ones, but that actually does matter in Texas. Fine. Controlled the octagon every round. Again, that's really, I mean, he was the one moving forward, but remember, Dominic's game plan was based on creating that motion, or at least facilitating it. Had more significant strikes landed. That's flatly not true. Dom completely stopped fighting in the championship rounds. There is some truth to that. And had the audacity to be mad at the judges. I'm like, okay, let's see where he's going with this. He continues. Don't be mad at, I love this tweet, don't be mad at the judges. Be mad at Dom's conditioning guy. Man started to give up when the water got deep and is now going around doing interviews talking about how he was robbed. When will these young boys start taking responsibility? That's what's wrong with boys these days. Fair, fair point. John turned it on in rounds four and five, and Dom kind of fell off a cliff there, especially in rounds four. Fair point, but also he's definitely just kind of twisting the knife a little bit. At the end of the day, he says, I got to be a part of another classic. I'm over here in Albuquerque, smiling from ear to ear, having fights that tickles my pickle. It makes me feel so alive, makes me feel like I'm a man, especially when you display having balls the way I did, nothing but a win. And I know my haters are pissed, which also makes me really happy, LOL. Fights like the ones, fights like those are the ones that fans never forget. Way to make history. Uh, and that's really about it. Uh, da 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 this will probably be one of the only times I defend myself about the fight. Just glad everyone is talking. I don't think people realize how many ways this has been a blessing for me. Humbling, record-breaking, financially, a new rival. Got to bring out the dog. UFC 247 is what it's all about. Cobb, I think he's right about this. Like, don't be mad at me. You should be mad at... Or if not right, he has a point, I'll say. When he says, don't be mad at me, you should be mad at Dominic's people for not having his cardio on point. And, and again, you know, we all know the story. This was Dominic's first time having to go five rounds. It's going to be a little bit of a challenge for him, especially like a guy like John Jones and the way that Dominic had to fight him. But all's fair in love and war. You know, John didn't get tired in the fourth and fifth rounds. It's a fairly compelling point. In general, was there anything that John Jones said, out, said that stood out to you as like, okay, John's got a point? Anything there? Uh, a right. little, I mean, a little bit, but uh, <laughs> I still think this is just John Jones needling. Like, you think the whole thing is trolling? Yes, he does go out and specifically say, "As made my haters mad," which is uh, makes me happy. LOL. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, I tend to think he was defending himself a little bit. I tend to think that he was like, "There's some things that folks forgot that he wanted to include." But the question for the audience is at eight seven seven fight ninety three eight seven seven three four 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 eight nine three. Does any of this make you want to see the rematch more? For me, the answer is yes, actually. John is, to me, a little bit too confident about the way that he won. Um, I think there are elements to the way he won that are legitimately being underappreciated. And that's coming from somebody who scored the fight for Dominic Reyes. When John is talking about how people don't understand how good his defense is, y'all, he's right. I'm beating that drum on this show, I know, relentlessly, and I, I'm hearing it in a few other places, kind of, sort of, but not really. People are just talking about John Jones's game overall or his offense. In fact, most of the discussion that I've seen is like, oh, he doesn't have these big throws or spinning back elbows anymore, and you're right, he doesn't. He doesn't. Not much, anyway. But you know what he's got? He's got very, very good defense, man. 
And if he can just pot shot you and then get out of the way, that's a hard thing to beat. It's a they have you have to you have to pull that person into a mistake, and that is much easier said than done, man. So I think he's right to bring that up. I think he's right to bring up the fact that Dominic kind of fell off a cliff offensively in the fourth round. You know, I thought Dominic won, but he's right. He's right about that. And he seemed rejuvenated spiritually, so to speak, by the fight. Perfect, because Dominic Reyes seems as determined as ever, too. And we had Dominic Reyes on the show yesterday, and he's out there talking like, got to tell you, folks, there's already a million changes I can make. Already. To me, I'm all in. I love what I heard from John. Not to say that I agreed, because I don't. Parts here, parts there, no, you know, whatever. Uh, And even with Dominic, there were some things I didn't necessarily understand, like the switching stances, like in the middle of the fight. I was like, you've never done that before? That sounds a little bit weird, but okay, whatever. I'm not here to to, to fact check every element of everything either guy is saying, especially on social media, where Jones could be trolling a little bit. Nevertheless, he's right, dude. Listen to one of the last tweets that John Jones put out there. This is the part to me that absolutely stands out among the rest of them. Aside from all the trolling and all that kind of stuff. I don't think people realize how many ways this has been a blessing for me. Humbling, record-breaking, financially, a new rival, and got to bring out the dog. I'm not sure what the dog is in this particular case, but um, he's right about the rival. I think people want to see Dominic Reyes get another crack, and I think that they want to see it back-to-back before John has a lot of time to really invest in a detailed game plan on how to beat him. If you don't know SiriusXM, then listen up. Commercial-free music plus sports, comedy, talk, and news. They have it all. A lot of people think you need a car to enjoy SiriusXM, but you don't. You can listen outside the car. Right now, you can get your first three months of SiriusXM outside the car for free. Just go to SiriusXM.com slash Luke Thomas to see offer details and to subscribe. You can listen on your phone, at home, and online. That's SiriusXM.com slash Luke Thomas. Offer available to new SiriusXM streaming subscribers. SiriusXM, no car required. So let's get to this unfortunate news about BJ Penn if we can. Uh, The saga of what has happened to him just doesn't seem to be letting up ever. This comes to us from MMA Junkie, but uh, the initial news was reported by something called Big Island Now. BJ Penn was involved in a single car accident last weekend in his hometown of Hilo, Hawaii, leading police to investigate the UFC Hall of Famer for a possible DUI. According to Big Island Now, the accident happened at approximately 7 p.m. on Friday, February 7th. Hawaii Police Department Captain Ken Kiocho told the website that Penn had lost control while driving a black pickup truck and flipped the vehicle in front of a shopping mall. Penn, who was the only occupant inside, was transported by ambulance to Hilo Medical Center. His condition was unknown as of late Tuesday night. Kyocho told Big Island Now that police believe speed was certainly a factor in the crash. The investigation into a possible DUI was launched after the medical staff drew blood from Penn upon his admittance to the hospital, which is standard practice for victims of car accidents. Uh, The hospital shared the results with police, which prompted the investigation. He did not disclose Penn's blood alcohol level since the investigation is ongoing. Understand that that, that's not the worst thing I've ever heard, although it's not great. But it comes on the heels of 
2019 where Penn has dealt with multiple transgressions. In April, he was issued a restraining order by the mother of his children who alleged years of domestic violence and sexual abuse. Penn also threatened a farmer with a machete, according to a police report. Last August, Penn was involved in a street fight caught on video outside of a bar in Hilo. The footage showed Penn getting dropped after being punched by a man. Penn, 41, fought his final UFC fight last May at UFC 237. He dropped a unanimous decision to Clay Guida, blah, blah, blah. He has, of course, you know, one of the all-time great losing streaks as well. Um, let me say one thing first and then a, a different thing second. First, I hope that this is a moment for Penn and the people around him, uh, whether it is medical care related to the rolling over of a car or if there are more serious issues in play, I hope that this is the case of a wake-up call for everybody involved that this is a guy who needs some help. Now, we said that last time, and people glibly dismissed it, which I'll address in a second, but I want to make clear that the first order of priority for any rational adult is to make sure that, to the extent possible, BJ gets that care, and then for folks who are on the outside looking in, um, to make that your vocal priority, right? BJ's wellness is the number one priority here, far and away. However, if you would like me to be honest about matters, I'm going to express a degree of skepticism that this works, in part because this is not the most serious issue he has faced, uh, arguably anyway. We'll see what happens with the DUI investigation. But if it's all that this is, is this. Um, certainly it's not great that he rolled his car, but it doesn't sound like that's the worst thing that's ever happened to him. So I don't know why this would be the trigger to change things versus anything else. And it breaks my heart because this is a man who has children. This is a guy who meant a lot to fight fans. This was a guy who did a lot as a, uh, combative athlete. Um, you know, I'm just going to say this outright. If somebody doesn't do something or he doesn't make a change, we're, we're, we're headed towards catastrophe, right? I mean, that's just, that's just, that's just where we're headed with this. If somebody doesn't do something or he does not make a change, we are headed for catastrophe. And I shudder to think what that might be, but it is pretty clear that that's the path we're on. We're dealing with what, what, what looks like substance abuse issues, if not in this case, then in general, uh, antisocial behavior, various other forms of violent, dysfunctional behavior, self-harm, uh, a lot of different issues that are, I mean, it's red flag city. And I want to say one thing, if I can, having already given them the preamble that the real priority here is BJ's health. I want to give a shout out to the morons who went out of their way that every time we saw one of these street fight videos, we're like, this is really antisocial behavior and it's kind of fucked up or anything related to you know intoxication or something like that, and people defending it, defending it, defending it. They didn't even list the fact that he was outside of a strip club where he got in a fist fight with a bouncer. You remember that one? Because the one with the lava shack is the one that's different. And there were people being like, hey, man, this is just what Hawaiians do. Right? I understand part of the argument, which is that certainly among the youth, but maybe in Hawaii in general, there is a little bit more of a relaxed attitude towards people settling very petty disputes with quick street fights kind of a thing. Uh, I tend to think people overplay that reality, but you don't want to underplay it either. I want you to put that aside for just a second 
if you've got somebody who has fought for a living and taken untold amounts of damage just from fighting, forget everything else, and training, and they went on a record career slide, and you are watching videos get released. By the way, we don't even see the videos that don't get released or the stuff that doesn't get recorded. But the stuff that does show a guy on arguably the worst professional slump we've ever seen, constantly intoxicated, often weeknights, not even weekends, getting into violent altercations. Uh, we have the allegations of his wife, the allegations of his neighbor, and now he has flipped his own car and engaged in degree of self-harm as a consequence on a 7 p.m. on a Friday and being investigated for DUI. I don't care where you come from. That is a pattern of behavior that has nothing to do with your nationality. It has nothing to do with where you live. It has nothing to do with your genetic roots. That has everything to do with somebody being trapped in a really bad place in their life who is in desperate need of help. I don't give a sh- I don't care if they're from Hawaii, Afghanistan, Washington DC, Toronto, Brazil, Antarctica. Doesn't make a difference. <clears throat> the common denominators there transcend genetic, ethnic, territorial roots. That is clear. That is clearly a pattern of behavior that is disturbing. And that I'm telling you now, if somebody doesn't do something that has the ability to do that, they are we are we are all headed for catastrophe on this one. I don't take any delight in saying that. I don't take any pleasure in saying that. I hope to God that I am wrong, but I don't see how you can draw any other conclusion but that one. Again, unless there is some kind of intervention or um, awakening on the part of Penn. And we all hope, I think any person with half a brain hopes that that is happening. Certainly me and certainly other ones as well. But for the people who wanted to dismiss clearly dysfunctional behavior that was full of red flags by attributing it to some kind of sacred practice of the ancients handed down to modern people. You need serious psychological counseling yourself, and that starts with a nice long look in the mirror. Sirius XM Fight Nation celebrates Black History Month every weekday at 2 p.m. Eastern on the Ock and Barack Show. All month long, the show reflects on the life and legacy of different influential African-American athletes. Such icons as Muhammad Ali, I'm the king of the world. Kobe Bryant. You guys will always be in my heart. I love you guys. Jackie Robinson. Robinson dashes to the plate. Safe. And more will be recognized for the impact they made both in and out of sports. The Ock and Barack Show, weekdays noon till 3 Eastern, only on Sirius XM Fight Nation. We've been talking about it this entire time. Uh, the state of Kansas, beginning March 1st, will give the option to promoters, should they choose to, uh, different capacities they could use it to do open scoring or real-time scoring in MMA. It is expected that Invicta is going to be doing that, I think, in their first show in the first week of March. Uh, one of the gentlemen at the commission behind this move is our next guest. He is the executive director of the Boxing Commission in Kansas. It is Adam Rohrbach. Mr. Rohrbach, how are you, sir? I'm great, Luke. How are you? I'm doing quite well. All right, so let's uh, take a step back because I think a lot of people are trying to connect the dots about why this is happening. Some are tying it to some of the events that happened in Texas over the weekend. So I'll ask you plainly, um, how long has this been in the works for Kansas and why now? Well, I can tell you it's been in the works for me for five years since I, I took the position. 
Uh, yeah, I came to the world of combat sports from uh, collegiate coaching, and the first fight I ever attended I was in charge of five years ago, and I've come a long way since then. And one question I've always asked is, why don't the fighters know the score during the round? I'm coming from outside the fight world. It just never made sense to me why two competitors that literally have their lives on the line don't know the score of their fight. We have millions of dollars on the lines for these fighters. Their livelihoods on the line. They don't know when they're going into the third round of a fight. If it's tied, if they're ahead, they're behind. And I've always thought, you know, what? Why not? And no one's ever been able to give me a great answer. And then over the past six months, I've just started asking that a little more. And I, you know, I sit next to Sean Wheelock, who's the head of the MMA Rules and Regulations Committee for the ABC at seventy percent of our fights, and we talk fighting and argue fighting all the time. And I finally got him to come around on it, and here we are. So this is something that's been in the works for a very long time. Um, finally had my breakthrough with him uh, two weekends ago, February 1st, when we were in Junction City for, for one of our local promoters, Never Surrender MMA. And then uh, we had the discussions again at Invicta on Friday. I mentioned it to Shannon, uh, the owner of Invicta, during the fights, and then you know, their last fight, uh, which we were, we were obviously all watching with Ryan Cummings was 38-38 going into the final round. And I walked up to her right before the round started and said, you know, hey, you know, this is tied. Wouldn't it be great if everybody knew that and the fighters knew that? And she immediately was like, yes, it really would. And we talked after the show on my way out of the arena and she decided, she okay, let's do it on our next show because I told her we were going to do this. And she's like, we want to be the first ones. So this was decided Friday night at about w- way too late after her show at about 11 o'clock hmm. in Kansas City. So this was completely independent of uh, UFC 247. Sort of curiously uh, with Sean, what could you state what his objections initially were? I mean, I think they're everybody's objections. You know, I'm here for you to hit me with the objections, so I I can take the heat. You know, the the basic ones that fighters will run, you know, and my response was, well, they run now. You know, a fighter knows if they're up in a fight more more likely than not. And so, you know, it it happens in all sports. The scoreboard dictates the action. And if a fighter knows they're ahead, they're going to run a little bit, regardless of if everyone knows the score. So... You know, and they take a risk when they run. That's that's what I always told him. And I think with the advent of 10-8 rounds, you know, is there's a little more of a risk to running now. And, you know, so that was his major objection, that the fighters will run. And, I, you know, I finally, like I said, I finally convinced him of it. Uh, okay, again, we're speaking with Adam Rohrbach of the Kansas Athletic Commission here on the Luke Thomas Show. Um you know, this is interesting to me. As a, as a, first of all, let me just say where I, I put my cards on the table on this conversation, Adam. I love this call that you guys made. Now, I'm less convinced, to be perfectly honest, that open scoring or real time scoring, whatever the proper nomenclature is, is the solution. But what I definitely do believe is that this spirit of innovation by commissions, when it comes to mixed martial arts, is absolutely necessary. I wonder what you make of this. When the UFC and the various other stakeholders decided to, quote-unquote, run towards regulation, I do think that was very good in safeguarding the future, right? Like, you're making sure that you're working in lockstep with these state agencies. That, to me, makes sense. But MMA has changed dramatically since then. And the spirit of innovation is hard to do when you do, when you have a decentralized system where the commissions can just, you know, one commission can do one thing and another one can do another. And also, nobody really knows what the best way is to judge an MMA fight or to facilitate um, 
innovation around the rule set to get the best kinds of outcomes that make the most sense to people is part of what you're doing uh, an advocacy for open scoring or trying to figure out if open scoring really is the best? I think that's a great question, and I'm going to tackle it in two different ways, if that's okay. I'll, the first one, I'll answer your last question first. I don't know if it's the answer for scoring. This is completely independent of how the rounds are scored. All we're doing is taking the scores that are given by the judges and telling the fighters. So I, I've seen a lot of, you know, been online the last the past couple of days as this has been announced, and everyone, you know, says this won't change bad judging, and I will agree with them on that. That's not the goal of the real-time scoring. This goal is simply whatever the call is, the fighter has the right to know. We'll kind of look at it like a baseball strike zone. You don't always agree with the umpire strike zone, but you always know if it's a striker ball, and then you have to adjust accordingly. So a fighter fights the first round, think they did great, I lost that round. I have to adjust going into round two is what the good fighters will do. They'll make those in-fight adjustments. So at least then they know how they're being graded. And to me, that's just in, in, you know, inherently fair to let them know that. You know, as far as the second thing, the unified rules and things like that, I mean, uh, I did a study in, you know, last year to find out about all the rule sets that were being used. We currently have nine MMA rule sets being used in North America. Uh, you know, a fighter could fight in Nebraska, Missouri, and Kansas in three separate weeks and fight with three different grounded fighter rules. And that's just the reality we face. And the ABC is very decentralized right now. And I don't know how, how, how soon that's going to change, but us offering the real-time scoring is just a way for us to make it a little more fair for the fighters and the fans so the fighters know what the score is going into that last round and the fans know because we think it'll bring a lot of electricity to to the fights and it'll bring more more people and more attention yeah so the other question that i think feeds into this is is making the change to real-time scoring and again the promoters can choose not to use it or use it in certain capacities but let's say that they elect to use it in the way that invicta is sort of a full-throated way is that choice even though it belongs to the promoter is this ultimately in service to the fighters or to the fans? Who, who is when we make when you made this change? Who did you have in mind as the chief beneficiary? The fighters, one hundred percent. I mean, I think we, you know, we all love this sport, and the only reason this sport is there is because of the fighters. You know, we consider ourselves a fighter first commission. You know, we we do well with our medicals. We make sure everything's fair. Why not let these fighters who are fighting with their livelihood on the line? why not let them know the score? If it's going into the last round and they think they're ahead and they're actually behind, they're going to fight completely different. That last round in the Fry Cummings fight would have been completely different had they known it was tied. And you can't, you can't, you no one, there's no, it's inconceivable to anyone that that round would not have went differently. And why not let them know that? The Association of Boxing Commissions did a study in 2012, and they did not come – you know, that's eight years ago, so take care for what it's worth. But one of their – it's sort of a curious objection, but one of their objections was there could be a problem of unruly fans. I wonder what you make of that. I think there's unruly fans in every sport. Uh, I mean, we – I don't think the NFL considers that when they make rule changes. I don't think baseball does when they when they consider that, and – 
I think in MMA, you know, we have to do what's best for the fighters and for the sport. And in my opinion, if judges can't handle some booing and some fans being upset with them, then they need, for lack of a better term, they need to go get some training and get better at their job. That's just my opinion on it. You know, we've turned over 90% of the judges and referees since 2014 when I, when I got this position. And, you know, talent plays. And the better judges are going to rise to the top. And if judges don't want to judge under this system, then that's their decision. But we're not going to be held back. We're not going to, we're not going to keep the sport from moving forward because of the voices in the back, in my opinion. One of the things you hear, I'm sure you hear it all the time, we have callers call in all the time on this show. And they say, you know, we should get a bunch of former fighters to do it. And I'm like, I always say this. Now, there are certain states that have uh, different realities. But for most states, this is my understanding, uh, Adam. It's like, what is stopping them from doing it now other than they're not calling the commission's office and saying, hey, I'd like to apply. I mean, most people don't. Most commissions, as I understand it, the problem is not that they have this abundance of people, former fighters in particular, who are willing to sign up they have quite the opposite problem. There's no, there's no, there's no rule preventing them from doing it. Secondly, what do you make of the idea that like, it is certainly conceivable to me that a background spent in combative fighting could prove to have some skills and knowledge that could be valuable in becoming a judge. But I, I think people tend to overstate the overlap between them. So between those two considerations, what do you make of them? Well, I think, I think you hit the nail on the head that we don't have a lot of former fighters lining up at our door asking to be judges. We, one, of our, one of the three judges we use on Invicta is actually a current fighter. He fought on Bellator. He's an outstanding judge. You know, we found him through uh, a training that we did with John McCarthy and Rob Hines in Kansas City two and a half years ago. We're going to have another one coming up. That's where we find our judges and referees. If someone approaches me about being a judge, I immediately say you need to go to training and you're going to have to shadow. That eliminates about 95% of the people who say they want to be a judge. So it's not that easy to just go out and find judges. I've approached, I don't want to, you know, probably between eight and 10 fighters who are, we, who are along in their career and say, hey, when you're done, we'd love for you to get involved and be a judge. You never hear back from them. You know, I just, some of them don't want to. It's not as easy as just snapping your fingers and getting five former professional fighters to serve as judges. There's a process that you have to go through and it's probably not fun to go sit in, you know, for two days for eight hours a day and listen to John McCarthy and Rob Hines talk about, or whoever the, the instructor is talk about judging, but that's what you have to do. You have to put in your time. Uh, you know, in Kansas, we don't let, uh, you know, politics and friendships and attendance dictate our assignments. We go with the best people. And I know that's not always true in some States. So a, a former fighter may look up and say, you know, a former fighter in, you know, say Texas or, you know, wherever may say, I'm never going to get to do a UFC because I'm going to have to wait behind all these other guys, you know? So that could be something that is keeping, you know, for some former fighters from getting involved. And in terms of the transference of skill, again, obviously having combative literacy, Adam, I think we could all agree is probably valuable, but it just seems it to is. me that people are understating and undervaluing how difficult it is to be a judge and the particular skill sets that go into that that are a little bit different than just knowing how to fist fight oneself. Absolutely. And, you know, having that knowledge, you know, we always look to, you know, our, our judge's name is Stephen Graham, and he's a Bellator fighter. He you know, we, we look to him in our postmortems that we have after every show sometimes and we ask him questions, you know, hey, what will we ask all of our judges? But he always gives a unique perspective. You know, as a fighter, this is probably what I would have been thinking. So, yes, you know the terminology. You know 
you know, hey, it's hard to get offense from the bottom, but man, if you're a former fighter, you know, hey, you know what to look for when when somebody's on bottom. And they, yes, you can fight from under there. So yes, having that inherent knowledge certainly is, while it's not a prerequisite, it certainly would get, give you a leg up in getting started. Are there any other ideas that you find uh, curiously interesting that you, again, having plans to implement them is a different thing, but just you, Adam, yeah. are there any other ideas you see out there that, that, that you find curious you'd like to see experiment with, if not in Kansas, perhaps somewhere else? Oh, how long do you have? You're going to have to have me back. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there were obviously the early weigh-ins. You know, we were the first day to do early weigh-ins in conjunction with Andy Foster in California. We, you know, Our rule set was a little lax, so we were able to do that. And, you know, I, one of my dreams, and we'll probably never get another major promotion after I say this, but that's okay, I don't really care, is uh, I would love to see a hydration test tied to weigh-ins where you have to be hydrated at a certain level before you can weigh in that keeps fighters from becoming dehydrated because the number one problem with weight cutting is getting dehydrated. We move the weigh-ins up to at least allow them to be hydrated back to a certain level because we can't stop them from becoming dehydrated. If we could actually stop them from becoming dehydrated, to me, that would be a game changer in, in drastic weight cutting. You asked me my wish list, so this is what you're getting. Sure. But I know that would be really tough because we'd have to get every commission on board, and we can't, we can't get commissions to agree whether he'll kick to the kidney or okay. I doubt we're going to get him to agree to that. So. Uh, I, I, just as a, uh, since I have you on the phone, I'll tell you one thing that I, again, I do not, I'm going to be very clear about this. I do not know this to be true. Uh, not at all. But I have a hunch. I have a hunch that, like, you, you, I'm sure you've heard it. What about a half-point system? I tend to think that that is headed in the wrong direction. I can't quite put my finger on why, but I basically believe that the way that Pride and now One Championship does it, where you judge fights as a whole, no system is perfect. And again, I don't, I couldn't, I couldn't die on this hill. But I tend to think that a better rule set for MMA is one that's a little bit less prescriptive in what you have to look for or doing it round by round in these formal frames and tends to be a little bit more open-ended uh, and uh, less, less you know, full of fewer parameters. I tend to think that that's probably a better way to do it. Now, to know that for sure, you'd need some further experimentation. But, but curiously, what do you make of that? Well, I, I listened to your outstanding video <laughs> before I came on the air, and I, I love your ideas. And I love that you say, hey, we got to get out and try this stuff. And I think outside the box because I'm not from inside the fighting world, so we're kind of kindred spirits there. And, you know, I, I wouldn't be opposed to that. I think you have to keep everything on the table. You know, we're using a boxing system of scoring to score MMA. And they're two completely different sports, as we all know. And anytime anyone brings up, you know, open scoring didn't work in boxing, well, my answer is, well, it's not boxing. So you have to completely throw that out the window. And, you know, I, whether you judge it as a whole, a whole, a whole fight, you know, I, I personally don't think the .5 system is great. You know, everyone says we can't find three competent judges to do a 10-point must system. Now you want us to find five judges and use a half-point system. Logically, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. If you don't think we can find three, how are we going to find five and then make it harder on them? So I think right now the best thing we can do is make sure we're getting these judges into training. I think commissions as a whole need to reevaluate who they're assigning. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not mentioning anyone by name because, you know, I don't give anyone advice on marriage or parenting, so I'm not going to give them advice on how to run their commission. But, you know, I think we need to have talent play a little more. You know, get your better judges in the better fights, regardless of age, how long they've been with you or anything. 
you know, there's too much on the line for these fighters and these promotions. We as commissions have to step up and get the best referees and judges in there, regardless of their name, age, gender, or anything. Did you see that baseball study on umpires? Which one? I'm a huge baseball fan. So, so we covered it maybe, I don't know, about a year ago, something like that. Uh, Major League Baseball did an internal review of all of their umpires. And what they basically found was the ones who had the most competent, coherent, and consistent strike strike zones and enforcement of them were the referees who'd been, or excuse me, the umpires who'd been doing it about ten years or so, and the ones who'd been doing it over twenty were universally the worst. That in fact, tenure up to a point was valuable, but beyond that, had quite diminishing returns. Um, this idea that, like, yes, of course, paying your dues is valuable, getting experience, who could argue otherwise? But um, I don't know how it works in Kansas, but I do wonder about other commissions around the, 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 the country having some, like, really grizzled veterans who've been doing it a long time almost being in there so long that uh, they've grown out of touch. I, I agree, and I would love, you know, to sit in on another commission's, you know, post-mortem after the event to hear how they do it. I know how we do it. You know, you're gonna get you're you're gonna get your calls and you're gonna get your rounds. You know, they're gonna get dissected. I know Andy Foster does a good job with it. Mike Mazzulli does a good job with it. You know, you're gonna have to defend your calls, and that's kind of how I'd look at it. You know, is the judge losing his fastball? It's tickled the baseball metaphor. Is the judge losing his fastball because he can't tell me why he didn't give a ten eight in that round? If you right. can't tell me why you did it, man, I'm going to really question putting you on the next big show. If you say, hey, it was 10-9, here's four reasons why, here's another reason why, okay, just defend your call. If you can defend your call, i got no problem because then I can help and we can talk. If you can't defend your call, and which sometimes some of those judges, you know, can't do that, you know, because they've just said, hey, this is what I've always done. Well, you saying that's just what I've always done isn't, to me, isn't good enough anymore when we have what we have on the line. So last question for you, Adam. We could talk forever, but i got to keep it moving. Um, selfishly, just let me sort of put this out here. One thing that I don't know how to do, uh, for example, I'll make uh, some kind of – and I try to be, I try to be um, not fire and brimstone so as to, you know, to, to reach more audiences. But I've had referees reach out to me after the fact and been like, you know, I don't want to talk about this on the record, but here's what I saw in a fight, and I just want to explain that to you, which I really appreciate, you know, because they don't have to, and it's uh, elective, and, and it can't be easy in being a referee or a judge. But one thing that seems to be quite missing is, and I don't know how to make it work, but one thing I was thinking about was if you had one selected member of credentialed media from the pool, just one, who could go and talk for 10 minutes with one judge about something uh, after each fight, I tend to think that would be massively influential in helping us understand um, the good and the bad of what they're doing. But to me, or maybe that's not the best idea, but that's just sort of the one I'm working with. But what I do feel is true is that there is such a distance between not so much commissions in media, but the judges and the referees in media. And I understand it. They get chewed up unfairly all the time. But if there's no dialogue, there's just no way for the public to get accurate information. And I wonder, is there some kind of way to get a closer connection between those groups? 
I think that's a, a great point. And, you know, this has been a great conversation with you because, I mean, I'm sure that I've let it, you inside the, you know, you let you inside the decision-making process a little bit about how we do things. And, you know, every commission is different. But I would 100% open up a mem- one of our judges or all of our judges to a member of the media. I mean, they're out there. They're getting paid. It's their job. They should be able to defend their calls to the media and to why they scored around a certain way. That's just my opinion. So I would personally, I would have no problem with that. I think, you know, real-time scoring, it's it's transparent. We are pushing for transparency. And that's one reason we don't like to call it open scoring is because that kind of intimates that maybe the scoring was closed earlier. And we have always tweeted out our scorecards, as all commissions do. So we weren't hiding anything earlier. We're just we're giving it to you in real time. We want to be transparent. Why not have the judges be able to, like you said, maybe like, you know, baseball and basketball, do one pool reporter gets to go in and question the report, question the judges after afterward. I, I would have no problem with that. I think it would be a, a great a great step forward for us. Well, a guy can dream. Uh, Adam, <laughs> if there's a, if uh, people want more information, I guess they can obviously look at the media reports. Is there anything else that they should know now that we have you on the phone? Any other thing you want to plug? Uh, no, I mean, obviously we're going to be at Invicta 40, which will be a Phoenix series. Actually, it won't be Invicta 40. It'll be Invicta, their Phoenix Tournament Series 3, which we have approved for them. It'll be an eight-person tournament. Uh, a lot of those fights will be one round, but I know that there will be a title fight and three other regular fights. So we are going to have, you know, four fights where this will be used there. You know, get on Fight Pass, watch, give them some love on social media. You know, I'm always open for questions. Anytime you want to have any commission questions, I'd love to come back on and explain maybe how things are done and why they're done. And, you know, feel free to reach out. That's about all I can say. Adam, I uh, really appreciate your uh, commitment to, or your, your willingness to come on here and your commitment to innovation as well. And I take my hat off to you. Thank you. Thank you, Luke, and I appreciate you pushing this forward too, man. We will get there, man. Don't worry. One way or the other. There he is, Adam Rohrbach from the Commission in Kansas. Thanks for listening. Catch the Luke Thomas Show live and in its entirety weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. On Twitter, follow at L Thomas News and the channel at MMA on Sirius XM.